Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time covering the Business Week ended 9th June 2023. This is Ian Haydock. This time, Merck Co. takes IRA legal action, notes from BIOS Day 1, stories from ASCO around Immunogen's ovarian cancer candidate and Servier's progress in glioma, and the future of AI in pharma. Merck Co. has taken the first legal action to fight a new Medicare drug price negotiation program that's being implemented as part of the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA. Jessica Merrill and Sue Sutter write that the U.S. major has now laid out some arguments that other companies could follow in a complaint filed in the Washington, D.C. District Court on 6th of June. The company is one of the drug manufacturers expected to be involved in the first round of drug price negotiations for its diabetes drug Genuvia, based on the number of years this has been on the market and the amount of money Medicare Part D spends on it. The IRA's Medicare Drug Price Negotiation Program is a sham process that violates the US Constitution's Takings Clause and the First Amendment prohibition against forced speech, Merck argues in the complaint. The program involves neither genuine negotiations nor real agreements, it asserts. The centrepiece of Merck's argument is around the steep taxes that will be levied on drug manufacturers that choose not to comply with the price set by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, or CMS, in the negotiation process. Industry leaders have called the taxes business-breaking, resulting in a process that's more government price-setting than negotiation. Merck's lawsuit underscores that part of the policy, pointing out that if drug manufacturers don't agree to the mandated price, they will incur a ruinous daily excise tax amounting to multiples of the drug's daily revenues. This is not negotiation. It is tantamount to extortion, and it violates the Constitution in at least two obvious respects, states the colourfully worded complaint from Merck. The company says the US government intentionally put those taxes in place to prevent companies from walking away from the negotiations, fully understanding the public outcry that would follow if certain drugs became unavailable to Medicare patients in the US. It also says the IRA allows the government to appropriate Merck's property without paying just compensation in violation of the Fifth Amendment's takings clause. Furthermore, the IRA compels a speech in violation of the First Amendment by coercing manufacturers to act as mouthpieces for the government's public relations campaign. By laundering its mandates through performative negotiations and agreements, the Act requires manufacturers to endorse and express the view that they agree to HHS-dictated forced prices and that those prices are fair, the Merck complaint states. Merck's lawsuit comes less than three months before the 1st September statutory deadline for CMS to publish the selected drug list for the initial price applicability year of 2026 and less than four months before the 1st October negotiation period begins for drugs where signed agreements between CMS and manufacturers are in place. The article also looks into the possible impact on specific drugs the negotiation process and the likelihood of other legal action. 
On the first day of the Bio International Convention, our attending reporters heard from industry leaders at multiple sessions around tough financing, when to go public, and why there shouldn't be 700 listed biotechs in the US. GSK plans no shift in its deal-making strategy following the US FTC's attempt to block Amgen's $27.8 billion acquisition of Horizon Therapeutics. CEO Emma Wormsley told a small group of reporters on 5th June, the first day of bio in Boston. Wormsley, who spoke with reporters at the site of one of GSK's newest acquisitions, Affinivax, in Cambridge, said there is no change to GSK's approach to M&A and to BD. GSK's lack of concern seems in part due to the relatively small size of the deals that have been the focus of its spending after the farmer's 2022 spin-off of its consumer division, Halion. This includes a focus on acquiring technology platforms like Affinivaxes for vaccines or specific drug assets. Many big pharma CEOs have commented during the past two years that smaller biopharma firms have struggled to find financing and have seen their stock prices cut in half, that these conditions do not necessarily translate to better deal economics when they are looking to buy assets or companies. However, speakers on the biopanel Biopharma Dealmaking in Uncertain Times noted ways in which the tough financial markets are factoring into deal dynamics. The approach that we take is to focus on science, and science drives all of the business development that we do. Merkin Co. Associate Vice President of Business Development and Licensing, Christopher Mortko, said. Now, of course, if a company has a valuation that is half of what it was two years ago or a year ago, and the fundamentals haven't changed, the science is still really exciting. That's, of course, something that becomes a consideration as we think about a partnership, a collaboration, an acquisition, or anything in between. Investors and biotech executives also pondered what direction emerging companies should take in the biopanel titled Should I Stay Private or Should I Go Public? A key element in that decision is whether or not a company has the right story to tell, one with a value-creating inflection point coming soon, such as taking a first drug candidate into the clinic or a clinical trial readout, panellists agreed. What everybody, private and public, needs to think about is your cash runway, said Ai Hung Shi, who's Managing Director and Co-Head of Biotech Private Investments at Wellington Management. You cannot raise $250 million just to spread your love to all your beloved children. You have to take your firstborn or secondborn. Which one is going to go away? He asked. Data presented at the American Society of Clinical Oncology, or ASCO, annual meeting seem likely to shake up the ovarian cancer market. Immunogen's phase 3 confirmatory Mirasol trial of its antibody drug conjugate Elahir supports a shift in treatment paradigms for patients with ovarian cancer resistant to platinum chemotherapy. Laurit Diamond writes the Mirasol trial, presented on 4th June at ASCO, showed a statistically significant improvement on the primary endpoint of progression-free survival, as well as an overall survival benefit. Differences in OS based on whether patients have previously received Roche's anti-VEGF drug, Avastin, have prompted discussion about potentially bringing Elahir into earlier lines of treatment. Until this day, no phase 3 study has ever demonstrated an improvement in overall survival in the platinum-resistant ovarian cancer space. Principal investigator Kathleen Moore, 
who's Associate Director of Clinical Research at the University of Oklahoma's Stevenson Cancer Center, said in the presentation of the late-breaking abstract, calling the data practice-changing. Mirasol is a confirmatory trial for Elahir, a folate receptor alpha-targeting ADC that won accelerated approval from the US FDA in November 2022 for patients with one to three prior lines of therapy, based on overall response rate data from the Phase 3 Soraya trial. The presentation followed the announcement of the Mirasol data in early May, with Immunogen calling the results a home run. As the company stated in May, data showed a median PFS by investigator assessment of 5.62 months for patients receiving Elahir versus 3.98 months for those on chemotherapy. On OS, the median was 16.46 months for the Elahir arm and 12.75 months for the chemotherapy arm. Among the 453 patients included in the study, the majority, 281, had previously received Avastin. Prior maintenance with Avastin as well as PARP inhibitors was allowed and considered under Mirasol's inclusion criteria to count as a prior line of therapy. When stratifying patients according to Avastin exposure, the PFS HR remained mostly consistent and also statistically significant. For OS, the HR for Avastin naive patients was 0.51 and reached statistical significance, but for Avastin pretreated patients it was 0.74 and did not reach significance. Based on the data presented by Dr. Moore, I wonder, should we be considering moving the treatment a little bit earlier in the disease course? Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center gynecologic oncologist, Oisin Oseabal, the discussant for the session, said after Moore's presentation. Bearing in mind that these patients had received up to three prior lines of therapy, it's interesting to note that patients who have not received a prior bevacizumab appear to derive more substantial benefit from mervituximab, which is Ella here. Staying with ASCO, Servia's late 2020 decision to pay $1.8 billion for Agios Pharmaceuticals' cancer portfolio appears to be paying off handsomely, with the lead investigational product from that transaction, Voracidenib, looking set to provide the first targeted treatment for low-grade glioma. Alex Shemmings writes full data from the Phase 3 Indigo trial presented at ASCO on 4th June, showed it produced a near 2.5-fold increase in progression-free survival, putting off the need for radio and chemotherapy in patients who had already received surgery for their brain tumour but were taking a watchful waiting approach to further treatment. Servia announced the positive top-line data in March. The full results show the IDH12 inhibitor produced an impressive median PFS of 27.7 months compared with 11.1 months for placebo in patients with grade 2 gliomas with IDH mutation over 30 months based on centrally reviewed brain MRIs. Median time to next treatment, the key secondary endpoint was 17.4 months with placebo but has yet to be reached with voracidenib. Delaying the need for more toxic therapies is a consideration for glioma patients who are generally relatively young and otherwise healthy. If approved, voracidenib could provide the first alternative to watchful waiting for these patients, opening up a new market for the private French firm that has some major oncology ambitions. 
It estimates that there are around 2,400 grade 2 glioma patients in the US in 2019, but said recent changes in how the disease is diagnosed are shifting that number upwards. However, varacidinib's therapeutic effects were achieved at the expense of nearly 1 in 10 patients, or 9.6%, on the drug experiencing grade 3 or higher alanine aminotransferase increases. However, Indigo co-author Patrick Wen of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute told Script the hepatotoxicity was very manageable. The dose can be reduced if it's severe and relatively few patients stop the drug because of the hepatotoxicity, Wen said. Nevertheless, the liver toxicity profile is likely to give regulators, especially the US FDA, some pause. Servier now plans to expand veracidenib development to other forms of glioma. It is already under evaluation in combination with Mokinko's anti-PD-1 drug Keytruda in a phase 1 study in grade 2-3 glioma. Finally, as the world watches the fast-paced developments in generative artificial intelligence led by poster child OpenAI's chatbot, ChatGPT, with excitement and some trepidation, pharma appears to be moving along with more use cases. Andrew Gangerdi writes that generative AI opens up a plethora of opportunities in the life sciences sector, and while the road ahead needs to be traversed with speed to keep pace with competition, and evolving developments. Experts also call for caution before biopharma plunges headlong into deploying these tools. Data regulations and IP rights of derivative assets are some of the aspects that need careful manoeuvring. Senior executives from Indian firm Indigene discussed with Scrip some of the now and next issues around ChatGPT, including some early use cases and emerging opportunities. Gaurav Kapoor, who's Executive Vice President at Indigene, noted that there is tremendous potential for generative AI to generate substantial impact through the entire life sciences value chain, from R&D all the way through to post-approval commercialization. There are risks and costs coming from the usage of the technology, so we need to consider a few aspects of where it can be used and in what way and potential outcomes too, before diving into full-fledged real-world implementation, Kapoor said. That would perhaps apply to regulatory agencies as well, as they potentially ride the generative AI wave in some areas to inform more effective decisions. Kapoor believes that it's very likely that regulators themselves can use the technology to assist in the review of regulatory submissions. Agencies have extensive guidelines and protocols used in the evaluation of these submissions. Being able to assist the reviewers by flagging inconsistencies, qualifying data visuals with the written statements, and other such intensive tasks can be greatly assisted by large language models, he explained. Regulatory agencies are watching the AI space closely, though perhaps more from the regulation standpoint for now. Biopharma and medtech firms are already experimenting with generative AI, use cases in areas like pharmacovigilance and commercial content development, among others, appear to hold promise. Taron Mathur, who's Indigene's chief technology officer, 
told Scrib that the company was working with some clients across use cases that involved processing unstructured text into structured data for downstream processing. As an example, he cited using the OpenAI GPT-3 large language model, which was seeing great process improvement and speed in extracting pertinent clinical information from physician notes in an adverse event report and mapping that data into an AE reporting taxonomy. We are also seeing strong traction for use cases that accelerate commercial marketing content development, updating and personalization using the models that power ChatGPT, Mathur said. The article also takes a look at other related issues, including the need to loop in humans in processes, bias and intellectual property questions. That's all for this time. Thank you for joining us. See a link below in the description for an article listing and linking to all the stories mentioned here, which formed just a fraction of Scripps' global coverage last week. Log in to access all of this or sign up for a free trial to see what you're missing. Bye for now.